a couple miles west of Lake Michigan, and a couple miles north of downtown Chicago, there's a neighborhood. And in the 19th century, this neighborhood flooded with immigrants, immigrants that worked in the factory jobs of urban Chicago, immigrants from Ireland and Germany, from Sweden. And through the years and the decades, those immigrants changed as new immigrants came in, became a neighborhood of Italians, and then back to Irish again, and then German again, and then back to Italian. But over time, this neighborhood, these houses grew older, some of the factory jobs left, and the neighborhood became known as Little Hell because of the poverty, the gang violence. There's an area in the neighborhood called Murder Corner for the amount of murder that took place and violence that took place in this neighborhood in Chicago. In 1940, a grand plan came for renewal in this neighborhood to transform this area of North Chicago. These dilapidated houses were taken down. 23 towers were built in row homes. It became one of the greatest public housing projects in the world. The first tenants that moved into these places said, I died and went to heaven. How nice it was. It was labeled as a safe haven. A recent book came out labeled When Public Housing Was Paradise about this neighborhood. Maybe you know the neighborhood I'm talking about in North Chicago. It's infamous Cabrina Green. Just the name, if you grew up in the Midwest or know Chicago at all, brings major negative connotations because of its history of violence, poverty, a public housing disaster, became known as one of the worst places in crime in the nation through the 70s and 80s. By 1989, one-third of these apartments had become abandoned, vacant, disrepair. In the 1990s, Mayor Daley came speaking in front of Cabrina Green with a great plan. We're going to break up the concentration of the poor. We're going to stop this concentration of poor in one place. We're going to have income-adjusted housing. We're going to have the poor reap the rewards of a resurgent city. And he said in front of Cambrina Green, I want to rebuild their souls. If you go now to Cambrina Green, all those houses are torn down and tenements torn down. There's a new library. There's a police station. There's new shopping. There's upscale housing. It's one of the top schools in the nation. Maybe the cycle of violence and gangs and murder are finally done. What stops the cycle. Promises by public officials, grand plans, income-adjusted housing. Build it. It runs down. 
tear it down, start over. New promises, new commitments. It will be a new day. I'm sure some of you snicker at the idea of public housing and public figures making proclamations. But I wonder if all of us go through these kind of cycles in our own lives. I'm going to stop consuming so many calories. And we make promises and then failures and then recommitments. I'm going to hold my tongue at family functions. <laughs> promises, failures, recommitments. Social media is not going to take over my day. Promises, failures, recommitments. Alcohol will not be my crutch. Promises, failures, recommitments. I'm going to spend responsibly. Promises, failures, recommitments. Do better. Be better. Is that the message we preach? No matter how many cycles we go through, we say that to ourselves. Do better, be better. Today, we are going to see a people that have gone through these cycles of problems over and over and over again. And now, they're going to recommit. Is this going to be just another failed cycle? Or is it going to be different? I'm going to give my big idea at the beginning. Sometimes I get it at the end, but here it is at the beginning. If you like to write things down or have something in your head, here you go. I will use alliteration today. I know it's cheesy at times, but just deal with it. It's C's today because it's Christmas, right? So C's. Renewal based on confession, covenant, and certain hope. You like how I did that, David? Certain hope, that is a stretch. Stretch. Renewal based on confession, covenant, and certain hope is the way forward in cycles of destruction and sin. Well, let's look together. Nehemiah chapter 9. You guys see this two pages and you're just flipping out, right? Oh, he's going to read this whole thing. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. We're going to go through verses 1 through 5 and then we'll pick it up as we go. After I read verses 1 through 5, on page 8 is the call and response. Please pay attention to God's word and bear with me as I work through hard words and names again. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Keniah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaneah, 
Sherebiah, Hode, Shebaniah, and this is the hardest one, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. God's, a wor- God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Well, if you're just joining us, welcome. We are in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. I know we have many guests with us today that saw grandkids and kids sing. These two books, used to be one book, is a book about return. It's about a period of time of a hundred years in Israelite history. Here, exiles from Persia, hundreds of miles away, have come back to Jerusalem. They've been opposed externally. They faced internal troubles with their own sin and opposition. But through it all, they made it. And now, here they are, in the temple courts, in the walls of the city. It's been an exciting 23 days. Am I still on? Is it on and off? Is it working? Is it good? We're good? Okay, good. Okay. It's been an exciting 23 days. They've been celebrating in the seventh month, which is big months in Jewish tradition. It's really the beginning of their year where you would celebrate Yom Kippur. And they've gathered together for the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Booths, the reading of the law, celebrating in joy. 23 days of this. And now here they are on the 24th day. Again, the projects have been completed. The wall has been done. The temple has been built. They have celebrated their feast. What are they going to do now? Well, they do three more hours of reading of the scripture and three hours of confession. You might wonder, what is going on in this reading, in this story? What's going on in Nehemiah chapter 9? Well, for these people, this very thing that they're doing in the temple, together gathered, would have been a very surreal, if not ironic, experience for them. You see, they've been reading the Torah, the Old Testament, the first five books, and maybe they've gone to Deuteronomy. We know they've gone to Deuteronomy, actually, because last week they talked about the Feast of Booths, Deuteronomy chapter 31. And we know if they've read that, they've read what maybe has come before, Deuteronomy chapter 29. And what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 29 was this. The people had also gathered like they had done right then. A thousand years before this. They had gathered together gathered together to go into the land. Forty years in the wilderness. Forty years of the punishment for worshiping idols. And here they gathered together a thousand years before this, and they said, we recommit our lives to Yahweh, to the Lord. And then... What is told to them is if you abandon God, if you go after idols, if you follow other things, what will happen to you is this. All the curses of the law will come upon you. 
And God will take you from this land you're about to occupy, and people will take you into exile. And they said, well, we commit to the Lord. We read his law, and we will follow him knowing this. And that is what had happened a thousand years ago. Now, here is what is surreal and ironic for them. They've just read what has happened in Deuteronomy chapter 29, and now they are here again. A thousand years later, after they had disobeyed what they said they were going to commit to a thousand years before, they had gone after idols. They have walked away from the Lord, and God did what he said he was going to do. He took them out of Israel, out of Jerusalem. Everything was destroyed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, and then they were in exile But God in his love and his promise brought them back to Jerusalem. The temple's been built. The walls have been built. And here they are again, back where they were before. Wondering, what will we do? And here they are recommitting themselves to the covenant and to the Lord. Now, this has had to be a very humbling reality. As they have just read what their forefathers had done a thousand years before, and now they're committing, they're wondering, are we going to do the same thing? I imagine it's a little bit like this. Your parents might tell you, if you eat too much of this, you're going to get sick. But you eat it anyway. You get sick, and then you recover, right? Probably in the recovery process, you go, oh, that's never going to happen again. And then the chocolate cake is before you again. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to make a different choice, right? Right? Everyone makes a different choice? Oh, sure, right? I think of my girls who have been having problems with lactose lately, but they keep doing it. They keep eating ice cream, (laughs) right? Surely that doesn't happen to us, these bad cycles. You pay off the debt. Oh, it's paid off. I'm going to make better choices. Maybe you have a night where you drank too much. I'm not going to do that again with my hangover, and then you're back to it again. Maybe you overwork to the point of burnout. It's going to be different this time. No bad cycles for us, right? None of us go through those things. I think instead of confessing, and this is what they do right here, they confess. They are under the humility of what has happened through the cycles. They know they could just do this again. Instead of just plowing ahead, they make honest confession in this time of renewal. They want to take God with them. I think many times what happens in these cycles is this. We'll take God with us in the low moment, but then it gets better, and then God, we forget. And then it gets worse, and it gets worse to then we're back here again. 
Oh God, help me. He helps us again. Again. I'm going to make this argument. If we confess, if we admit to God, God, if it's not for you to be with me in all times, I will be right back at it again. That I need you through the whole journey, that it shouldn't be a cycle, that it should be a line. Where, yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs, but we need the Lord through it all. If we want to break the cycle, confession has to be a part of it. God, I know I could be right back in it. I know I've had dips. I need you, Lord, that we have to have the Lord through us through it all, rather than forgetting him, back to it again. Forgetting him, back to it again. And I do wonder if we're in these cycles of forgetting him, if we realize what a relationship with God is really about. It's union with him through it all. I'm not saying that we don't have down, ups and downs, but I'm saying we should take him with us through it all. Well, here they are, they've been making confession, and they have their leaders, the Levites, and it's interesting, they've confessed, and now the Levites do this amazing job of explaining the history of the cycles that they've been in. I'm going to read quite a large section right here, bear with me, verse 6, I just want you to see a little bit of these cycles, verse 6, I'll start, here are the Levites giving them their history. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham, you found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of Canaan, the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the, in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. And gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath. And commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Here it is. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. 
They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way they did not depart from them by day. Nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And then it goes on and on about Israelite history and what happens, how they again follow God again, and then they depart, and God comes to them again and again, and the cycle continues and continues. If I'm very honest, if we're honest, I guess, with ourselves, maybe if you're honest with me, some of you are frustrated with the Bible. Many of us go to the Bible saying, I want to take to the Bible my issues. Bible, help me get from point A to point B. Let me turn the pages and find answers to my specific problems right now. And we approach the Bible in that way. The Bible is a story about me, what it can give me. And what this passage shows us is the problem with looking at the story of God's redemption by looking at it with starting with us first. The biblical story is about God's glory. And in and through his glory, his rescue for us. Dare I say, these Levites have taken the history of Israel and they have condensed it. They have ordered it. Dare I say, they have put it into a system, a systematic, if you will, Here is their understanding of God's plan through history into a theology. It makes sense after all the reading they've done over these 24 days, they've read hour upon hour to the people that now they're trying to make sense of what all that has been said to them and what they have learned If you remember at the beginning of Ezra, I gave you the history of how we got to this place. Here they've done the same. They've given the history of how they've gotten to this place. But they added something that I did not in giving you the history of Israel. They gave you the nature of God and his graciousness and goodness and his steadfast love. And he gave the nature of us. How we continue to sin and go back to it time and time again. Here they have read the word over these 23 days. And this is what they've systemized it to. God is great. He is faithful to his promises. And we are not. 
And it starts from the beginning. God created us. It starts with him. And then we rebelled. And then he found someone that maybe would have something right with him. And he revealed to Abram his promise. Revealed to Abram his plan. And then they became slaves in Egypt. And God delivered them. And then out of Egypt, you know, they pursued idols. And then were in the wilderness. And God delivered them again in the wilderness. God gave them a land. And then they were still disobedient. They killed the prophets and God gave them judges. So basically I'm going through church history, right? Deuteronomy to Joshua and now to judges. He gave them judges as saviors. And then they came back to God, right? And then they rebelled again. And then God gave them a king. And then they rebelled again. And he was gracious over time, trying to help them over and over and over again. They rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. And then they brought... They were brought into exile, and then they repented again in exile, and God brought them back again into the land. That is their cycle of rebellion. I would say that when we think about the Bible, when we think about God's promise, when we think about this word covenant, it works like this. God keeps his end of the bargain even when we don't. Imagine going to the title company to close on your house and they're ready for you to give them the check. And you come to get the keys and you say to the title company, well, I don't have the money. What do you think they would do? You don't get the keys. And here God says, even though that you don't keep your end of the bargain, I am faithful. And this is what Israel has done over and over again, not keeping their end of the bargain. I'll try with Abraham failure. I'll try the law. Failure. We'll try judges. Failure. We'll try prophets. Failure. We'll try kings. Failure. Some of us think, well, God has been doing a bad job in planning. This plan didn't work. I'll move it to the next one. This plan doesn't work. I'll move to a next one. I don't think God works that way. In fact, I think God had a grand plan for us in his history of redemption, even when Israel continued to fail. Abraham, out of you, out of you will come a seed. Even though Israel and Abraham's seed and his family failed, God, out of his seed, there came salvation. Read the beginning of Matthew. The genealogy, you see the way that God has taken from Abraham all the way to Jesus. I'll give them the law, and they fail the law. And God says, I will give you one that actually will fulfill all of the law. 
I'll give you a great king in David. And he failed. And God says, out of him I will give you the perfect king, Jesus. From the beginning, God had a plan. A plan for salvation, even in our failure, that he would give us a plan for salvation. Uh, I Sorry, maybe I'm dating myself. I loved VH1 Behind the Music. Do you guys ever watch those, VH1 Behind the Music? Or maybe any rock and roll documentary. It kind of works like this, right? These guys are nobodies, right? They start in the garage or at these like clubs that no one's there. And all they want to do is they just want to make it. You know, they're talking about, man, we, we were nobodies. No one was there. We we're just trying to make it. And then they hit their dreams, right? This is every VH1 behind the music, right? They get their dreams. They, they make it big. They get tours. They go platinum, fame, hotels, money, all those things. But then there's always one guy in the band that starts doing heavy drugs, right? Like more than the other members, right? And he just can't function anymore on, you know, on stage. And then they always talk about one concert that just goes totally wrong, right? Right? They break up, right? The guy that did the drugs finally hits rock bottom. Usually the drummer, right? <laughs> he goes to rehab. The guitarist that was angry at the drummer that, you know, said, I'm never getting back together, he apologizes. They get back together, they do the reunion tour, and they make money. And then, you know, something happens again. Every single one VH1 behind the music, I swear, it's just like that. Humanity's empty promises. God, give me this. I'll be good. Give me a spouse. I'll be content. I won't complain anymore. Give me money. I'll make good choices with it. Cycle after cycle after cycle. Our promises, our covenants are trash. This is our best attempt. Abraham... David, this is our best attempt as humanity. I mean, God found someone with a good heart, but he couldn't even do it. And we come to the Bible going, what can you give me? Rather than realizing that you can give God nothing. And it starts with his glory. You see, God's great plan is this. His great covenant is this. That he would send us one that was fully God and fully man to break our cycles. That's the new covenant. That is the ultimate story of God to us.
verses 32 through 38. Last one, last point. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant in steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So they've gone through all of the history of the cycles. And then they say, therefore, now they get to the point. This is what we want. They admit that they have sinned, that even that they are, it's probably sinning now. And they admit even in the midst of that, you are awesome, God. Your promises are good. You are faithful. Even in our recent failures, you can come. Now here they are sitting in the completed wall in the temple. And even though everything is completed, they are still under Persian rule. They're probably giving much of their money and taxes to the Persians. They have foreign enemies that are around them. They're probably living in poverty. They are still longing. And they are longing and asking God to be faithful in this place. We were just reading about it today, about this long period of silence. And this is really the end of the Old Testament until we get 400 years, until we get to Christ. And in that period, there were kings and priests and princes, and Israel rises and falls. It comes to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. And you wonder, would there be any rescue? And that is where we enter Advent season. This longing that Israel has, that the people have for something to be better. Would there be an Emmanuel? Would God come and dwell among us? And this is what we celebrate. That Emmanuel has come and conquered death and sin and brought us true hope. That there has become a greater king, a greater priest, a greater prince, a greater prophet that has conquered all the roots of sin and death. Annie Ricks moved to Cabrina Green in the 60s. 
She was the last person to leave Cabrina Green in 2010. The mayor had promised her soul and the souls of those in Cabrina Green would be changed. They moved Annie Ricks and her family to a new housing development south of the city of Chicago. There, Annie and her family encountered new gangs and new violence. In 2014, Annie Ricks went to the hospital with a sore foot. She was diagnosed with diabetes. In the hospital, she developed pneumonia. They transferred her to another hospital. And on November 16th, 2014, she died. A few days later, 100 former Cabrina Green neighbors gathered together at the Westside Church that Annie Ricks went to. And there they worshiped together a great God. What is the hope that we give with Christianity? A perfect housing development? You're going to rise up the social ladder. You'll have esteem. You'll have popularity. You see, in Advent, we long for the true solution. Even in this struggle, a certain hope, so that we don't continue to go through these false cycles of looking for things that do not give us certain hope. What a false gospel the mayor of Chicago gave Annie Ricks. That is not what we give as the church. We give you good news that there is a certain hope. There is one that has come. There is one that has lived the perfect life. There is one that has broken the cycle of sin that we can live in his hope. I would hope that any of you that are in a cycle and wondering for hope, that you might cry out like Annie Ricks. You'd cry out knowing we worship one that has faced the wreckage and broke the cycle of sin and death. There we can confess that we need him. It is a covenant that is one that is initiated by him, and it is a certain hope that can break the cycle of looking for false hope.